Hi, I'm Dina. And I'm Anoshi. And, and this, this is Formalized Curiosity. Curiosity, a podcast of cross-cultural conversations in our quest to understand the world around us. This episode is part of our series on dysfunction, where we explore the ways in which our political, economic, and social systems malfunction, why it happens, and sometimes how to fix them. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Formalized Curiosity. Uh, Today, I'm actually really, really excited because we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories. Um, Ooh. In particular, we're going to be talking about Behind the Curve, which is a documentary you can find on Netflix that explores the world of flat earthers. So as the name implies, those are people who believe the world is flat rather than a globe, and they believe it extremely vehemently, (laughs) as we found out. So um, this is a conspiracy theory that, as as the movie argues, started out as an extremely fringe idea, but it's actually growing in popularity within the United States. So we thought that this would be a really good vehicle um, for understanding a particular conspiracy theory that's important to us, but also thinking about conspiracy theories in general. Yes. So we've included this documentary uh, as part of our season on dysfunction because well, conspiracy theories um, and the behaviors that they inspire are actually an increasing source of dysfunction in our society. I think everyone would agree with that. Um, And some conspiracy theories might be pretty innocent. You don't see how they might affect you, but then there are others for example, like whether or not 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump that have very dangerous consequences. Uh, So today we'll be talking mostly about one specific conspiracy theory, uh, which is the flat earth theory. Uh, But we are actually hoping to learn something much more general uh, about conspiracy theories um, and how should we approach like the, the conspiracy theorists themselves. Um, I do want to state that we're not going to be um, talking about the physics behind the flat or round earth. We're not going to be uh, disbunking the conspiracy theory itself or focusing on the shape of the earth, but we rather actually want to learn something from this specific conspiracy theory that we can generalize uh, to all conspiracy theorists in general. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I think this this movie really tickled me. I watched it. I watched it twice because I was that intrigued by it. So um, I think this will make for a good discussion. Um, I'm sure it will. Uh, but I think first we need to understand a few things. So. Manoshi, what is a conspiracy theory? Yeah, well, um, I just looked at the definition from dictionary.com. I think we can, uh, you know, if you look at other places, it's pretty similar. But basically, a conspiracy theory is a theory that rejects the standard explanation for an event or a situation. And instead, it credits a covert group or organization with carrying out a secret plot. 
So that means that there, there are basically two parts to this definition. One is that there is the standard definition that the majority of or standard explanation, let's say, that a majority of people believe. Um, and if you believe in the conspiracy theory, you're rejecting the standard explanation. So it implies a certain amount of, I guess, contrarianism or skepticism. Um so that's number one. And then number two, there's this idea that there's someone evil or nefarious out there who is trying to co cover up the truth and impose that standard narrative on you. So, Dina, tell me, what are some conspiracy theories you've heard of in Israel? Oh, wow. Um, there are actually quite a few. And I, I, I guess that a lot of them are not originated in Israel. So they're actually similar to conspiracy theories in other parts of the world. Uh, but for example, there is the 5G theory, uh, which is that the antennas that uh, they put for the 5G coverage, they're actually either harmful to you, though it was proven that they're not, or even better one that they're used to control the population. Um, yeah, there is another one which is related to the COVID now uh, that it's kind of like a tree of like COVID-19 chips and Bill Gates, which is one of my favorites, really. It's just like so much invention. Uh, so there are a few versions, but basically the vaccines for the COVID-19 are used to inject chips inside of you that are um, that would control you later on. And this is all this has all been manipulated by Bill Gates. So th those are just two of them. Uh, I know that in the U.S. you have quite a few conspiracy theories. So like, what are your favorite conspiracy theories, Manoshi? <laughs> I, um, I, I enjoy your interpretation that um, Israel doesn't have its own homegrown conspiracy theories. Instead, uh, all of the conspirators originate in the, in the United States or elsewhere. <laughs> Could very well be true. I, well, I no, I mean, I didn't say that they are all originated in the U.S., but I think that they like in they might be originated in many parts of the world. But I think that, and again, this is like my opinion, but this is what I see that. Well, first numbers. I mean, there aren't that true. many population in <laughs> Israel to begin with, so not that many people that can invent things. Two, I, I think it's time. Thingy. I mean, I think in Israel, we have so many problems that people don't have that much free time to actually mm, invent and, and think about those things. While there are many parts of the world where, well, so nice, they're <laughs> so good and calm, they have all this time in their hands. Yeah, like I, I remember hearing some number of conspiracy theories actually kind of casually growing up. So one of the things that I remember, like someone, I remember when I was like five or six years old, someone pointed to the sky and said, do you see those white clouds coming, coming out from behind the plane? Those are chemicals that are being sprayed on us by the government. Um, and I think this was just like an older kid who was telling me this. So that, of course, is the, the famous chemtrail theory um, that the, the, the condensation trails from aircraft are actually chemicals, like so chemical or biological agents um, that are sprayed 
for nefarious purposes by the government or whoever. Um, one we're, we're currently that, I mean, that was in the news for a while was whether or not um, COVID-19 was created in a Chinese laboratory. Right. And then there was actually a period of time where major scientists like scientists from Stanford were being interviewed on CNN saying um, we actually need to think about this seriously um, and and really just come to an answer to uh, answer to it. So I'd say, you know, sometimes, you know, some some of these are fun to laugh about, but other ones, I think, you know, you you don't know the truth. And sometimes it's, I, I think that we're, we're walking on this knife edge where we just if you if you don't know the truth and you're distrusting, like, who knows what could what could be true. Right. Actually, it's it's something that I find very interesting that many times when when the conspiracy theory can be falsified easily by science, then the conspiracy theories would regard scientists as like just either lying or or just disregard them and and like not not gonna pay any attention to what they're saying. But in other cases, when scientists are actually saying something like, well, I need to think about it or might be true, then suddenly scientists are uh, this people that you should be listening to. And then there's like, oh, even they said it. So it must be true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get more into that later for sure. Um, one one statistic I found that was pretty alarming to me, although I guess maybe not that surprising, is that about 50 percent of Americans believe in at least one conspiracy theory. Um, although I forget when I when when that was quote or like what when that news article was printed that I got the that I, that I got the statistic from, because I mean, if the majority of Trump supporters believe that the 2020 election was stolen and we consider that to be a conspiracy theory, then that's already about yeah. 50% of the population believing in one, one theory. So yeah, no. So may, maybe it's a little tautological, but um, yes. Um, so anyhow, Dina, we, uh, as you were saying though, like the movie that we watched behind the curve actually wasn't about any of these conspiracy theories, though there are so many of them. Um, instead, it's about flat earthers. Um, so, so what what is the flat earth theory? Yeah. So the flat earth theory. I mean, just as it sounds, is basically uh, people that believe that the Earth is not a globe. Though it's not as simple because even within the the community of flat earthers, there are uh, different beliefs or different approaches to what than the, the, the earth is. So some believe it's a disc, others believe it's an infinite plane. And then there are also others that actually believe, I think the majority of them believe that there is some sort of a dome, um, um, which is, it's like, um, how do you call it? Like the snowball. Um, so there is some dome um, above the disc um, while others believe that there's, it's just flat, there is no dome above it. But all in all, I think what's co what's common to all of them is that they don't believe in the scientific uh, consensus that Earth is a globe. What's also interesting is that they actually don't have a specific person or other organization that the, that they blame. Um, they are perpetuating the the lie. Yeah, yeah, it's um, 
it's interesting because they in the movie they readily acknowledge that um all scientists believe that the earth is is a globe more or less but um they believe that the scientists themselves are have just been indoctrinated by education so they really do believe it's not that the scientists are to blame it's that there's someone out there somewhere who um has lied to us all and made us believe that the that the earth is a globe um yeah there was this quote from the movie as well um from patricia steer who is a as i guess a well-known flat earther slash conspiracy theorist podcaster um she says i don't think there's anybody who knows who's at the top of the control grid some people point the finger at the jews some say it's the masons the rothschilds and the rockefellers the jesuits the satanists the vatican yeah so that's to say they have no idea <laughs> but these are the uh, i guess these are the typical culprits <laughs> yeah i mean they just wanted they, they're all about inclusion just just let's include all of them in our blame and that's it um yeah so, so that's very interesting um i think it's also pretty cool to to see how they're actually communicating their um theory and, and the evidence that they surround them um mm -hmm. they have this youtube videos right where they show uh some of the so-called evidence that they believe are proving that the earth is not uh a globe yeah no so um and i think one of the things they pointed out in the film was how quote unquote scientific a lot of these videos looked so for example they would have a lot of diagrams they'd have um you know measurements written on them um they you know and like little and, and lines indicating distances and stuff like that and so i think there the evidence itself was um portrayed in a way that felt scientific but the evidence itself was usually something like okay if i stand over here and i look off into the distance i'm able to see see a bunch of buildings but if the earth was curved i wouldn't be able to see those mm -hmm. and and that's that's it without without a whole lot of deeper thought so it feels scientific but in the end i think they're resorting on a certain level of empiricism it's like i see it therefore it must be that way yeah i think they they also say it in in part of the documentary it's like mark surgeon i think he he's also uh, like a main character in the documentary and one of the leaders of the flat earth community and he is actually saying that well wh why reserve to math and all these equations and complex things no need when you can actually see it in your own eyes right right um, if you haven't watched the documentary, can, can you tell us a little bit about how is it structured? Oh, sure, sure. So the, the movie itself is structured in a really interesting way. Um, you're really seeing the world through the eyes of some very prominent flat earthers. Um, so you, so Dina, you mentioned Mark Sargent, um, who actually rose to prominence within the flat earth 
community. I mean, it, it, he he looks like he's the mayor of Flat Earth Town, basically. Um, but he rose to prominence um, by putting forth um, many, many YouTube videos that uh, collectively are called the Flat Earth Clues series. So sort of aggregating the evidence for the Flat Earth Theory. Um, Another main character is Patricia Steer, who we'll talk about a lot. She's uh, a radio broadcaster who um, started a podcast show um, with Mark Sargent, actually, um, talking about the flat earth theory and other conspiracy theories. Um, and and you, you see this whole community and you get you get sort of an inside view of that community in a way that I don't think that we would have had otherwise. Um, so there, there are a lot of very open and candid interviews with with a number of flat earthers, and then on the other side, there are many interviews with with scientists and science writers and psychologists who are looking from the outside and attempting to understand um, what um, I guess what's so attractive or what's so appealing about the, about the flat earth theory. Um, so altogether, I, th- I think they give a very well-rounded view from the two main perspectives. So the people who believe in the flat earth theory and scientists from the outside supporting the, the globe model. Manoshi, so what, what would you say is the most interesting thing that you learned about the flat earth conspiracy? as I said, I watched this movie twice because there are so many interesting things to say about not just the flat earth conspiracy, but I think, you know, the psychology around it. But what I wanted to do was to give you a little quiz. So this is the flat earth game show and you're the only contestant, Dina. (laughs) Okay. So, oh my God. Okay. Okay. Yes. You ready? So Dina, Dina is an excellent student. So I have, I have full faith in her ability to answer these questions, but, um, so here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask you three questions. They're going to be true or false questions. And, uh, I would like to, I would like to hear your thoughts on these questions. Okay. Wow. You ready? Yes. (laughs) You look nervous. (laughs) I am nervous. (laughs) True or false. The Flat Earth Movement started in the late 1500s, shortly after Magellan and his crew circumnavigated the globe. Wow. I remember they were actually saying something about the Roman period, even with the Flat Earthers. So I would have to say false. Ding, 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 ding. I needed a bell or something like that. Yay! <laughs> you're correct. It is false. Um. Interestingly, I don't remember the quote about the Roman period, but um, according according to some research that I did, there apparently was this big backlash to scientific progress in the 1800s, um, including, I guess, a large number of people who wanted to return to sort of a more biblical biblical literalism. That's what they called it. So a more biblically driven lifestyle. Um, so. It's possible that in Roman times there were there was mention of flat earth beliefs. Um, but I think in modern times, modern flat earth belief is thought to have started in the mid 1800s um, with a pamphlet and later a book published by this British writer, Samuel Robotham. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and the book was called Earth, Not a Globe. Hmm. Pithy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, yeah. <laughs> to the point. Exactly. 
No, no need to actually read the book. You you pretty much get the point. But um, yeah, so there was uh, this sort of strain of thought that persisted within um, British culture and an American culture ever since then, typically at very, very low frequencies, um, but has recently experienced a resurgence. Okay. Well, so you are one for yes. one this moment. Okay. Are you ready for the I next am. one? Okay. True or false? Facebook has been a major vehicle for spreading flat earth ideas in the last decade. Ha. Huh. Okay. Well, I mean, it's easy to blame Facebook for all evils as we should. Um, so I'm not sure if it's been a major vehicle, but I would definitely say it's been a vehicle for spreading a lot of misconceptions. So I would say true. Okay. I think you, you may have a point here. Um, tell you what, I'm gonna give you credit for it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> the one thing I will say is that in the literature that I looked at, Facebook has typically not been identified as the primary culprit. Although I think it's hard to argue that it hasn't been a culprit, perhaps indirectly. Um, I'll get back to that in a second. But basically, okay, so there was an interview in Scientific American with um, Michael Marshall, who is a project director of the Good Thinking Society, which apparently is a British organization dedica dedicated to combating pseudo pseudoscientific thought. Um, and so he claimed in that interview that YouTube was actually the primary vehicle for um, for spreading flat earth ideas. Um, what he said was that there were a couple of events that happened in 2015 and 2000, or 2016 that sparked this interest. Um, so first, a guy named Eric Dubay published a series of videos on YouTube called 200 Proofs, Earth is Not a Spinning Ball. Um, and it's actually been turned into a book. You can buy it on Amazon if you want. Um, <laughs> this was not sponsored by Eric Dubay. <laughs> Second, um, Mark Sargent, who we said is, you know, one of the main characters in Behind the Curve, this documentary, he published a series of YouTube videos called Flat Earth Clues. Um, so the way that uh, Michael Marshall tells the story, like these videos are pretty clickbaity. And so they got a fair number of clicks, including from, you know, so from people who are interested in the theory, um, but also from people who wanted to make fun of the videos or to scrutinize them. But basically, you know, the YouTube algorithm saw that it was popular and started recommending it to other people and on and on and on and on. It basically exploded. So um, Marshall uh, implicates YouTube then as being um, basically the algorithm as allowing these videos to become essentially recruitment tools for the flat earth movement. But um, I think that Facebook, you know, I think a lot of conspiracy theories spread through Facebook. And as we'll talk more about later, um, one of the sort of prerequisites to believing the flat earth theory seems to be that you believe in other conspiracy theories. So I think that it could for sure have had an indirect impact, although this is just my speculation. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think you have a point. I mean, definitely in the documentary, we've seen that YouTube and YouTube videos been like, and, and podcasts as well. I mean, they've been a major uh, driver for at least flat earth conspiracy. Uh, but what I think is that 
we'll talk about it again a bit later, but we've seen that a, a big factor of uh, being part of this conspiracy theory or any conspiracy theories is to belong, to be part of a group. And I think Facebook groups allow for that. I mean, while you sort of feed from the YouTube videos, they make you search for a certain group on Facebook and then you're part of the community. So I feel like this definitely also contributes. Yeah, that's a really good argument, actually. Um, and indeed, there was an interview in the movie with Nathan Thompson. He runs the largest flat earth Facebook page with nearly 54,000 subscribers. Wow. This is the largest flat earth group in the world. So um I actually, I, I like, I th- I feel like it's it makes sense to give you credit for this one because I believe that that Facebook page probably has, I mean, it, it, it's a community that draws people in. So, all right, we'll call it two for two. Yay! Yay! All right, all right. One more question. Yes, I'm ready. So, what should we do? Should we should we uh, up the ante on this one? All or nothing. Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm on a roll. So let's go. <laughs> there you go. Okay. True or false? Only sixty six percent of people ages eighteen to thirty four in the United States firmly believe that the Earth is round. This one is so sad. Yeah. This is this is also my you know my demographic. <laughs> Mine as well. Um, wow. I mean. I don't know if it's true or not, but I must say that if it's true, it's just, it's alarming. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I don't know. So I have to guess. So let's, let's believe in, in the world. And I would say false, please. Yay! Yes! Okay. It's false, but, um, but in a very weird way, actually. <laughs> So in 2018, there was this poll result that was going around um, from an organization called YouGov. It's a polling organization um, that said that said exactly this, that 66 percent of millennials, they always say it's millennials, mm-hmm. firmly believe that the earth is round. And there were so many headlines, so many news outlets reprinted it. Um, and. I, I saw that and I was also incredibly disturbed. Um, but I guess the backstory is somewhat more complicated and I'm actually not inclined to believe that result. Um, so just as background, the YouGov poll, they polled um, 10,374 respondents. I believe they were self-reported and they were asked the question, um, do you believe that the world is round or flat? And then given a variety of possible answers. So for example, um, one of the answers was, I have always believed that the world is flat. Um, Another answer was, I have always believed that the world is round. Um, And then there were some answers that were kind of in between, like, um, I used to believe that the world was round, but I'm now questioning that, um, et cetera. So, if you just strictly look at the results from the poll, um, 1.28% of people responded, I have always believed that the world is flat. Mm-hmm. That's across all participants. And then 
80, almost 82% of people ages 25 to 34 responded, I have always believed that the world is round. So I would say that like between those two statistics, it, I, I feel like it gives me a much more optimistic view of, of people our age. Um, so although it is still alarming to me that nearly 20% of people said otherwise, um, there were actually a number of like independent scientists who, who got the data and analyzed it and they weren't able to recapitulate that 66% figure. So I think that figure has been called into question. And then the, the, structure of the poll itself has also been called into question. So for example, um, you know, people were really concerned about people ages 18 to 24 who, um, you know, were not responding. I have always believed the world is round, but then people started saying like, okay, well maybe, maybe they're questioning the word round because, you know, it's actually I like, like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like maybe they were questioning the exact phrasing. Maybe they were just trolling this poll. Like who, you know, who knows? But this is to say, like, I think the jury is still out. Um, and uh, I think that more polls should be done, um, may, perhaps in a better way. Um, oh, one other thing I did want to throw out there is that there was another poll that said 7% of the Brazilian population believes that the earth is flat. Um, and that's about 11 million people. So again, you know, I, I didn't look too much into these polls, so it could be that all of this is, is made up and presenting a pretty dim view of reality, but um, you know, something to keep an eye on. <laughs> I mean, I was just about to say that I'm so relieved and my faith in humanity is restored. And then you come up with a 7%. But yeah, I mean, we probably should, I don't know if we, but people should probably take a look at the data itself. And I think a lot of like very bombastic headlines that, that are just clickable are not necessarily what we should be focusing on. But rather the data itself and the statistics. I agree. And the thing is like YouGov is a decently reputable polling organization, um, but I, I'm not inclined to believe this conclusion without, without further analysis. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I, um, I also w was recalling that like in the movie, they were saying that like Shaq is a flat earther and a lot of yeah, people right. who are musicians and in, in athletics are a flat earther. So apparently within those communities, it's kind of spreading. So that's, that's why I said like something to keep an eye on. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, those were my, those were my fun flat earth facts. Was there anything else that you wanted to tack on particularly interesting? Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so i think this documentary is so interesting on so many levels but i think one of them one of the most fascinating points to me was was seeing real flat earthers and trying to understand if there's a type of person who tends to sub subscribe to these particular theories um one of the things they kept saying in the movie was like you know we're not we're not just like guys sitting and playing video games in our mom's basement we're we're actually like really smart you know like so there was a lot of this combating of what we believe a typical flat earther looks like 
So Dina, do you, do you think that there is a single flat earther typecast after watching the movie? Like how would you, how would you describe flat earthers? Hmm. Uh, I felt like even in the documentary, we were introduced to a lot of different types of flat earthers. I mean, the, as we were watching, we were actually un, unraveling more and more different people, typecasts and so on. I think for me, at least until watching the this movie, um, the typecast that, that jumped to my head when you were saying like a conspiracy theorist would be sort of like the hippies. Mm. Uh, you know, like maybe in the documentary they were best represented by Patricia Steer, but not necessarily because I think she's not your most typical hippie, but she definitely has some of the characteristics. I mean, she is vegan she's this cat's lady she has a few things she's saying along the way that would make me think that she is a little bit hippie uh but i think one of the reasons is that at least in israel the conspiracy uh theorist community is more typically recognized with those type of people which is like hippie vegan homemade medicine closer to nature sort of people um and it actually bothered me a lot uh during the years to understand why is this the usual typecast here in israel mm-hmm. and not perhaps i don't know like people that are maybe less educated lower class population that i would imagine being persuaded by uh but by, by different types of conspiracy um and i think actually the movie helped me made some sense of it uh because at some point of the movie there is this uh steven hugberg he is actually a high school science teacher and he says something that i really liked which is uh this is not the matter of education or lack of education it is sometimes miseducation Yes. So conspiracy theorists uh, need to be actually questioning reality. They are smart. They're smart enough at least to ask questions. And they are searching for the answers, but they're not necessarily searching in the right place. Uh, so they're not uneducated people. They're sort of like misfits in the conventional um, science. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that actually made some sense to me because those kind of people, the, the vegan ones, the ones that are actually bothered about the world and about um, the norm and are bothered doing something outside of the norm might be the one that are questioning realities more. Yeah. However, I do want to say that I think during this last period, it was like coronavirus period, you actually started seeing more and more different kind of conspiracy theories here in Israel. Hmm. Maybe more the ones that I would imagine to begin with, the, the ones that are lower class, maybe more conventional. Um, and I think this is, might be due to the rate and the magnitude of conspiracy theories. You sort of no longer need to ask questions or actively pursue it or search for those theories. They're actually out there everywhere just sort of in your feed interesting interesting i mean i think it, it sounds like you're you're alluding to 
the idea that maybe different conspiracy theories attract different groups of people, some of which might be correlated with with education more than others. I think that um, traditionally conspiracy theorists were not well, again in Israel in the in the population that I'm familiar with were not necessarily correlated with education were actually um, people that needed actively um, ask questions and search for for those conspiracies. But once you start having conspiracies as part of the norm, as part of your um, normal feed, even in the news, as you said, uh, then you no longer need Mm. to be this actively curious, searching for answers person. You just need to be reading headlines or reading posts that people post and and just being misled by them. So it, it hits much broader audience. Yeah. Right. 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 I think um you're right. This this notion of requiring an extremely high level of skepticism, particularly of authority, that probably used to be more true in the past when um mm-hmm. when you had to search for these communities. Whereas now you said it's just we're surrounded by so much information and misinformation that you don't have to go out and find it. It finds you. And if you're kind of in the right state of mind, you know, yeah, it, it can stick. Exactly. Yeah. It just became part of the mainstream almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. So actually, I, I know that in the U.S. there are much more typecasts of conspiracy theorists, right, Benoshi? Yeah, yeah. I I tried to find some data on this. I think it's, I don't know. I think that there have been, in recent years, there have been more and more studies of conspiracy theorists, who they are, what they think, etc. I think in response to the idea that they are kind of a threat to our society. Um, I'm not like the world's expert on this data, though, so I'll tell you what what little I was able to find out. Um, So when we talk about flat earthers in particular, um, I don't think it's very clear that there's a particular typecast. Um, there was another YouGov poll um, that said 52% of flat earthers surveyed considered themselves very religious compared to 20% of Americans generally. And I think that, so this is to say that there's a correlation then between being religious and subscribing to a flat earther belief. And that I guess is in some ways consistent with the idea that um, the flat earth, I guess modern flat earth ism originated from the desire to return to kind of a biblical literalist way of life, you know, starting from the 1800s. I think I was, I I find this interesting though, just because like, I don't think that we saw a lot of over religiosity in the movie. So it's not like the main flat earther characters were were super religious. Um, I so so yeah. I, I don't know. I think that there there isn't a lot of good data about the community, and so I'd love to see see better polls, more comprehensive polls on this. But I also recognize that it's it's difficult to get a handle on on this particular group. Um, the one thing that I think you know, I mentioned this earlier. I think the one thing that I feel like we could nail down that's shown again and again in polls is that. 
if you believe in one conspiracy theory, you are more likely to believe in another conspiracy theory. So I think the the important question to me then feels like, well, what what draws people into conspiracy theories in particular? I don't think that and and to me, that's much more a um, I think, as you've alluded to, more of a psychological question than a question of demographics per se. Um, like what I've taken away is that anyone in the right state of mind could be susceptible to conspiracy theories. Just to be more a little more specific about this, um, there have been a number of studies now in social psychology um, trying to understand why people believe in conspiracy theories. And then there was one that was uh, quite widely cited by Karen Douglas, who's a professor of social psychology at the University of Kent. And she found that in general, conspiracy theories appeal to people whose key psychological needs, quote unquote, are unmet. Um, so people who believe in conspiracy theories crave knowledge, desire safety and security, and need to maintain positive self-esteem. And um, so she actually separates this into epistemic motives. So that's the need for knowledge, existential motives, the need to feel safe and secure in the world and to have power and social motives. So a desire to feel good about themselves individually and in a group. And I think the bigger question then is why is it that these conspiracy groups fulfill those particular motives? And then how can we fulfill those needs in other ways without having people resort to conspiracy theories? Yeah, I think that that's the big question. So this was all to say, like, I don't think that you can look at someone and just look at like, okay, male or, uh, okay, probably on some level, you can look at someone and say male or female, religious or non-religious, what party do you vote for, whatever, and then make a model predicting whether or not they believe in the flat earth conspiracy theory. You probably could on some level, but I think that the the deeper considerations of how you know how, how people feel psychologically how they were treated by mainstream education i think those are going to be much stronger predictors ultimately is my guess mm -hmm. one thing that really really worried me which was the way they phrased this whole thing so in the movie we've seen that a lot of the main players in the movement, in the flat earth movement, they phrase their uh, cause as battle against mainstream science. It was like, it was very aggressive. Um, so why do you actually think they phrase it in, in those terms? Yeah, I think um, the, the overall metaphor of there being a war between flat earthers and mainstream science was it was just littered throughout this movie. I'm just going to say one quote. Um, let's see. Uh, so this is from Mark Sargent in the, in the movie. Um, he says, science should have wiped us out literally in the first month. And it's the exact opposite. We're not just winning. We're crushing them because they don't know how to address it. Because they're not convinced they can knock it out. They don't want to get into the ring. We've got questions out there which they can't answer. So literally like the metaphor of the war, the metaphor of the boxing ring, it, it, it's like very key in the, in the mindset. So again, with the war metaphors, but for me, like, I mean, why is it a battle? You know, what's the basis of this? I think that there are kind of two parts of the question. So the, the first thing about why it's a, 
battle. I mean, I think the movie offers kind of this psychological explanation. Um, uh, there's this this quote from his name is Dr. Per Espen Stokness, who is called a psychologist slash writer in the movie. He says, it becomes a question of identity. Who am I in this world? And can I define myself through this struggle? So when you when you think about it in those terms, Proving the flat earth theory and coming out victorious becomes this cause to which people can attach. It, it feels like something bigger than themselves. They can identify with um, regarding why the battle is against science in particular. I, you know, I think like the simple answer is that this is a scientific subject. So, I mean, I guess science offers the most prevalent uh, standard explanation um, but I, I actually think it's a little deeper than that. Um, I think, I don't think that flat earthers themselves are actually opposed to science or the scientific method. Um, and indeed, like in the movie, there was like people who seemed pretty well-intentioned who were trying to do quote unquote science experiments to, to prove the flat earth theory. And then they were being extremely perturbed when their experiments weren't panning out, um, I think that what what they're kind of grappling with is the fact that science and knowledge is so tied in with existing power structures. Um, incidentally, there was a, a philosopher back in the day, Foucault, um, who I guess was well known for looking at the relationship between power and knowledge. Um, and I guess his his main claim was that knowledge is created and used in a way that reinforces the legitimacy of those in power. So this is to say that, like, I think science and the scientific process as it's carried out in our society is connected to major power structures, for example, like the government. There are certain objective truths, right? But um, I think it's also true that scientists hold hold the key to those truths on some level. Um, and if you view them as simply another another powerful entity that's controlling the knowledge, then it's very easy to believe that they're manipulating the knowledge to put push forth a particular narrative. Um, so, you know, and I'm saying this as a as a scientist, right? It's it's kind of painful for me to to parse this out, but I guess I understand the position. I, I'm having a hard time reconciling the idea that like there are certain things that like are a hundred percent true beyond any reasonable doubt, but also I think there are many many things that fall into the gray area. We don't want to make people stop asking questions or not being curious or not questioning some things as long as those are, this is just healthy curiosity and they can ask the question and then rely on facts and research to resolve the answer. So that's great. But then for some reason, it actually became such a, a huge part of them that it became their identity. And maybe the question we should yes. be asking is, are some people more susceptible to that? Perhaps because they're lonely, they're looking for some higher meaning to their lives, other reasons. Yeah, I think you raise such an interesting point here because you're right. I think like 
skepticism and critical thought, all scientists would believe that these are these are important parts of being scientific, thinking rationally, et cetera. Um, and and indeed, like these people show hallmarks of that. Um, for me, actually, the fundamental issue is that they are called flat earthers. It's like the conclusion is built into the name. So like, whereas, you know, in, in science, you're supposed to be open to the possibilities. You evaluate the evidence, you come to a conclusion, and you're open to the fact that new evidence may come in that may, may cause you to change your mind on what that conclusion is. But when you're locked into a particular conclusion the way that they are, I think that that's where it, where it becomes a part of your identity. Um, I think that there was a um, there was actually even a quote from Tim Urban, who's a science writer. He says, um, "In science, is you you start at A, you evaluate evidence, you conclude B, and then." For flat earthers is you start at B, so that's the conclusion, and you say, I have to find evidence that shows this is true. And so that's like a fundamental perversion, I guess, of the scientific process. I, I don't, I mean, I, to me, that feels like a, a strong and very negative word, but I think that that's fundamentally where things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. So related to that, then, like, okay, so on the one hand, you've got these flat earthers who are putting forth one claim. And of course, you know, like mainstream science is putting forth the claim that the earth is a globe. And what do you think scientists should do? Like, how should they respond to conspiracy theories like this? Um, I think the question is even whether scientists should respond to it, because one of the major claims being claimed both by Mark Surgeon, his mother, and multiple other people in the documentary is that while there is no response from scientists, they don't even know how to debunk it, thus it must be true. Um, so should, they, should scientists be responding now? Um, and I think also according to the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, which is if you are a person that knows nothing or very little about a subject, you might think that you actually know it all. But once you start understanding more, you actually understand also how little you know. And so it goes. Um, so perhaps the role of science communication, beside the fact of like explaining facts to people and so on, is translating the complexity of the subject. Uh, so people would not be experiencing the Dunning effect. They would understand how complex the subject is and how little they know. Um, so I'm, I'm not even sure. Like, I don't know. Does it mean that the scientists should now respond to every conspiracy theory? I guess probably not, but maybe engaging with some of the main conspirators in order to avoid claims such that like scientists don't even know how to respond to it. Mm. Um, and also I think maybe sort of uplifting them because a lot of them just want to be heard and want to be um, considered by mainstream science. So it's almost like you, you say, okay, I'm going to listen just a little bit and then I'm going to, have some discussion and the fact that they actually 
have this discussion makes them feel um, accepted by science. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know. What do you think, Minoshi? Yeah. Oh my God. I think that this is a, such a tricky point and you raised a lot of really important points along those lines. I, um, regarding whether or not I think scientists should respond. Um, I think that it's a weird catch 22 because if scientists don't respond at all, it's taken as evidence in favor of the flat earth theory, which is what Mark Sargent said. And that's what, that's what you were referring to. There's another component, which is that if scientists do respond, um, by contradicting them, uh, they will be looked at as simply like stooges of the, of the mainstream system. Um, so, I mean, there's even a quote from Mark Sargent that said he was asked, are there any scientists that are in flat earth? He said, no. And they can't be. Once you get to a certain level of education, the education system more or less owns you. You're not allowed to do certain things. So like if a scientist comes out and is anti-flat earth, then, you know, then then it's just like, oh, well, you're saying exactly what they told you to say, and I'm not going to believe you. So again, further support of flat earth. And then there's another component, which is that if now scientists do consider the evidence and maybe they accept some tenets of flat earth theory, it again strengthens the notion of flat earth. So it's sort of like, no matter what you do, you end up in this situation where flat earthers are going to believe in flat earth. Okay. So I think that starting out with this premise that you're going to convince a flat earther to not believe in a conspiracy theory is that's a pretty tough premise to start from. Um, and I think you know, what you said about the Dunning-Kruger effect, totally true. Um, also, the idea of um, trying to, you know, being compassionate is is an important part, but it could also fuel the fire, per se. You see what I'm saying? Like, by, by yeah. implying some kind of tacit support for flat earthers. Um, but... It also makes me feel weird to say that, like, okay, well, scientists should just do nothing. Um, I mean, in particular, there was a really good quote, I think, towards the end of the movie. Um, oh, man, there was this amazing scene where there was like a it was in L.A., I believe there was um, the Flat Earth Convention that was going on. And then apparently just down the street, Cal, there was this like Caltech scientists or like astrophysics gathering where they were giving talks about science communication. Right. There was this quote from, um, he was, he, he was called Lamar Glover in, in the movie. I, I'm not really, I think he's a, he was probably a scientist from Caltech, but he said something like truthers, flat earthers, anti-vaxxers. When we leave people behind, we leave bright minds to mutate and stagnate. These folks are potential scientists gone wrong their natural inquisitiveness and rejection of norms could be beneficial to science if they were more scientifically literate. So every flat earther shouldn't be held with contempt, but serve as a reminder of a scientist that could have been someone that fell through the cracks. And we, as ambassadors of science, are called upon to do more. So scientists of varying degrees of professionalism seriously consider becoming a mentor to someone who is coming from a non-traditional point of entry to the scientists, uh, to the sciences, excuse me. Um, when I heard that speech of his, I was, I was really taken aback. I was quite touched because I think 
the point he's making about um, not dismissing people who come from a non-traditional point of entry is totally true. But I, I'm kind of stuck in this position of like, well, then how how should we engage? Because it feels like no matter what you say, you're going to end up in a position where it'll support the the theory that they're that they're kind of holding on to. Uh, I think that perhaps we need to also realize that they some people are yeah. sort of too much into conspiracy theories to be addressed. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're going to say to them. It's not going to help. And maybe he's actually referring to people who are not necessarily already conspiracy theorists or they're, they're somewhere on the way getting there. But if you catch them before, if you manage to engage them into real science, quoting, um, that, then maybe you can make sure they won't get there. I mean, maybe it's it's sort of the prophylactic stage. Incidentally, there was this New York Times article um, not too long ago where they literally had it was a, it was an interactive article where they had a um, a conversation. It was like a, a template conversation on how to talk to a friend who is hesitant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm -hmm. And it was um, like, so they kind of walked you through the conversation step by step. And at each step, you, you know, you as the person interacting could choose what, um, what answer you put in. So for example, let's say your friend says, I'm really concerned um, about uh, mRNA integrating into my genome and, and the evidence around like, what do you, you know, what do you say? How should you say it in a way that they'll actually hear it and understand? And I would say like in answering it, I was probably, I didn't give the most compassionate answer at least 50% of the time, even though I think of myself as being a pretty emotionally attuned person. So this is to say, like, I think what I'm saying is at least difficult for me. <laughs> and I think also difficult for a lot of scientists. But um, as the article says, research shows that many common persuasive styles, um, commanding, advising, lecturing, and shaming, not only don't work, but often backfire. So I think that that's, that's the lesson that I, that I take away from this is that um, this is, it really is down to scientists to kind of change their viewpoint when it comes to interactions with people who are questioning the status quo, number one. And then number two is that as a society, we just need to do a lot more to mitigate the conditions that favor the spread of conspiracy theories. Um, I think when people feel um, insecure, uncertain, uh, unheard, um, that's going to lead to people resorting to, um, I guess, extreme viewpoints as a way of expressing themselves. So what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, so I think the role maybe of social platforms would be to make the real information or the truth very easy to access. So this is how social platforms should be. So for example, there are uh, groups in Israel, which are like speaking science or stuff like that, that are scientific and they just provide a lot of very interesting 
posts, interviews, and so on in a very popular science language. So this is great. And they also provide opportunity for people to ask questions there. So you can ask questions and being answered, and it's all very um, calm and, and nice and, and accepting. Um, but yeah, I think the role might be to provide information for people that are already in a place where they want to be listening or hearing or asking questions, but definitely not convincing and battling people that are not there. Um, and I think the the way, the, probably the best way to do it would be like a private conversation, private discussion with your friends and family. People are usually much more um willing to listen when it's just one-on-one talk or something like that and it's it's much nicer and calmer and they don't feel attacked yeah um so this is that and also i just want to say that i think that in general in okay in israel for example this period of covid was a very um prolific period for conspiracy theories and partially it's because of the COVID and it's so confusing uh, to many people and, and, and so distressing to many, but also because it was also in very unstable politically. So people had very low confidence in the government to begin with, it, like unrelated even to COVID um, and then had the COVID together. So, uh, so, it, it made things look much worse and um, many people resorted to um, to conspiracy theories um, because they just couldn't trust the government. They couldn't trust the uh, health ministry. Mm-hmm. And then it, it simply becomes they and the villain and can't trust no one. So I know it, it's not um, like no one person can actually do anything about it but in general really need to be striving to a political and social situation that does not um encourage this distrust um we need to be trusting our government we need to be trusting our health organizations um because then it's it's much less likely for normal people, normal mainstream people, to actually resort to conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. Well, and on the flip side, I think that those institutions need to do a better job of earning trust. Definitely, yes. And uh, you know, these things go hand in hand. Um, yeah, I I don't fundamentally believe that these people are are anything anything too outside the normal, at least in terms of their base profile. I think it's just, it's circumstances that kind of lead them down a path that ultimately, like, it's like you just go further and further down the path. (laughs) Um, You know, and along those lines, I think one of the things that I really liked from the movie was this reminder at the very end, I believe it was from Tim Urban, the, um, the science writer who was interviewed, who said, um, in thinking about conspiracy theories, it's a good opportunity for us, for everyone to think about, you know, what are we conspiracy theorists about? So like, including, you know, what, what's the information that we take at face value um, without questioning? So where are we less skeptical than we should be, but also 
Um, what are the things that we believe, not because the evidence is there, but because it fulfills some kind of psychological need for us? Um, I don't think that anyone is is immune to it. And so I think that, you know, moving to a position where, you know, we're the educated ones and we know everything is also not the right, not the right way to think about it. It's like it, it can be any of us given given the right circumstances. Yes, well, it's definitely important to remember that. Uh, thank you very much, Manoshi. And this concludes another episode of Formalized Curiosity. Please subscribe to our podcast if you want to hear more. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and stop by our discussion forums at formalizedcuriosity.substack.com. Bye-bye.